running this lifelong race to win next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. If you're a sports fan, you probably know full well that there's a lot that goes into actually winning. The athletes train long and hard, they eat and sleep right, and should be at the top of their game by the time they compete. But what is necessary to win the Christian race? Well, that's the question before us today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Tater opens 1 Corinthians 9 and points to what is required to run to win. Verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews, and to those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. Verse 22. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And now I do this for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. I have to say that this attitude of Paul paid off wonderfully in the spiritual realm. It really came down to him desiring to be a servant to all. To have his life lived in such a way that he had access to as many people as possible so that he could preach the gospel to them with clarity and they could trust him. That's what he's saying here. His motive is to win the more, win the more, win the more. And because he was free from all men, he was able to serve all men. Because he was free from the pressure of all men, he was able to be used by God in wonderful ways. Can you imagine how the accusations would come? I mean, he's already being accused of taking advantage of them. But here he goes serving the Jew and the Gentile. So what are you doing that for? And then he comes over to the Gentiles and the Jews are saying, what are you doing that for? And he says, I'm free from all that. I live for the gospel. I live for Jesus. And I'm free from all that. And I'll do what it takes to be relatable so that when I share the gospel, I come across to connect with those that I I'm trying to reach. The picture here is of adjusting your life, adjusting your life to the situation without compromise. Don't miss that here. Paul is not saying, oh, I was a compromiser to share the gospel. I lied to people. You know, I made things up. I pretended. No, no, no. He's relating. It's the same thing we tell missionaries when they go out on the field. Be aware of your culture and respect it. Don't come on and I've got it all figured out and in order to be a believer, number one, you need to become an American. And number two, know your culture. Learn the language. Live where they live. Eat what they eat. And be relatable. If you're going to go to a particular country, then become like that country to win them. Show them you care. 
And isn't it true? Isn't it true that people in general don't really care? They don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's what Paul's saying here. I've met a lot of people that have come to this and we've started to minister to them or we have to correct them or bring rebuke in their life because they're compromisers. And they say one thing and live another. For example, you, you know, somebody might be delivered from the party scene, right? And, and they're out clubbing all the time and then the Lord totally saves them. But then you find out next week they're out clubbing again. And they're all getting drunk and they're all sexually immoral. And so, hey, wait a minute, you're a believer now. Hey, Ed, come on, man, don't you know the Bible? I'm just becoming like a clubber to reach the clubbers, man. No. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. That's not what Paul's saying. You might find somebody that has a great temptation toward alcohol. They've been an alcoholic their whole life. God's delivered them, but they're drawn back to the bar, and they're getting all drunk, and you, you have to take them home. You know, you don't want them to, to drive, and you're like, what's going on? Well, you know, Paul said you got to be like a drunk to reach the drunks. No, it's not going to bring you great fruit. You, you need to live, and I need to live a life above reproach, not to be a hindrance to the gospel. Now, it is true that if you have an ugly addiction in your past, it may just make you more relatable to people that are currently going through an addiction. But you don't need to go back into your lifestyle of sin in order to gain any credibility. I'm telling you right now, it's only going to hurt you, not help you. Paul is not compromising. He is not playing games. He is simply understanding the people that he is ministering to and he's relating to them on their level connecting with them now it's true that none of us as humans save a person god alone is the author and the finisher of salvation no doubt about it he is sovereign in his character and his attributes and no man wins a person to jesus christ however God uses men and women to win people over to the gospel. That's what Paul's saying here. I want to win the more. That's his motive. And many times when people are new to Calvary, they start reading all the information about our church and they notice, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Your vision is win, disciple, sin. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds pretty arrogant. Like you're the only church in town that can win people. No. As a matter of fact, there is no church in town that can win people. This isn't a contest. There aren't winners and losers, but for sure the biblical concept of being used by God to win a person to Jesus Christ is repeated over and over again. Look, I'll show you. Not only in this section, but write this down in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. It says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. It's definitely a biblical concept. It says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, those who are wise shall, sh shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. 
And so when we say in our statement of faith, our vision, when disciples send, we're not saying, oh, hey, you know, we've got it all figured out. We know exactly how to win someone over to Jesus. No, simply we're saying we want to be used by God, that the vision of our church actually isn't even when disciples send. You know, the vision of our church is just one word, evangelism. That God would use us on the planet Earth to draw attention to Jesus Christ. And when Jesus is at center stage, people recognize that their sin has separated them from God. They have to ask the question, why would God send Jesus? Because I'm a dirty, rotten sinner and I need my sins forgiven. I need to repent of my sins. And that's why we preach the gospel, hoping that people will respond as God brings conviction of sin upon their heart, that they would respond with a decision. God's not going to save people against their will. You just don't walk down the street and, whoa, I'm saved, you know? God sends people, blessed are the feet that bring the gospel of peace into someone's life. And blessed are you if you're one of those that call upon the name of the Lord. Right? That, that, this word has been floating over and over again. And it seems in all the services, it's in the King James, whoever. But in the old King James, it's what? Whosoever. That's a pretty broad picture. Let's see. Whosoever. That pretty much covers every living human being. Whosoever will, Jesus said, let him come and drink of the waters freely. He said that to those that were thirsting, not physically, but spiritually, who need a refreshment in their life that can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He wasn't calling people to some rigid religion. He was saying, this is life change. You're going to be born again. You're going to have a new life. You're not going to add to your life. You're not going to have your life going on in that direction. You go, no, I think I'll add church now, or I think I'll add religious now, or I think I'll add the Bible now. He doesn't want you to add anything. He wants you to lose everything. And then you begin to live life in him. It's the life that we live by faith. Paul was not a fraud. He wasn't a fake, depending on who people were trying to reach them. He was real and authentic. And the motive was verse 23. He did it for the gospel's sake. He did it for the gospel's sake. We do it all the time here at Calvary. If I was to take this very same Bible study and go downstairs and teach the fourth graders, I'd teach it differently. The content wouldn't be different. The Bible is the same. It's the same scriptures. I'd use the same scriptures. But instead of using examples of work or marriage or such for fifth graders, I'd talk about the recess. I'd talk about your friends that slapped you upside the head the other day or the one that you were in detention with, or I would use different illustrations. I would want to relate to fifth graders. We do it all the time. And so those that might be really smart, you really want to be smart with them. Not a smart aleck, but you want to be able to speak to them on a level where you can relate to them. And those that might not be so smart or might not be able to connect, you want to come to their level and begin to speak with them. With Jesus was a master at this. Think about it. Jesus is just walking. He's there teaching and he says, look at the lilies. Why? Well, because number one, they were right there. He could just point over and see them. He's relating to the people that are in front of him. They see the lilies. He sees the, it's a perfect example. See how beautiful they are? Well, you know, my God, he does a better job of even taking care of you than he does those lilies. And he was relatable just to the people who were in front of him. 
to the hardened religious Pharisees that thought they had it all together, Jesus changes his tack a little bit. Woe to you. <laughs> you guys get all out clean on the outside, Matthew 23. You get all clean on the outside, but you know what? You're full of dead men's bones. Whew. As he's sharing that, he could look over to the side. The Pharisees themselves could see all of the whited sepulchers, all of the burial ground that's still there to this day, full of dead men's bones. We do it all the time. And Paul was giving us an example. Verse 24 now, back in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know, and he's going to close up this thought here. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? but one receives the prize. Again, another very practical illustration that the Corinthians, you know, the Corinthians had their own Olympic Games. There, there were the larger Olympic Games, but the Corinthians had their own. So Paul was often using athletic pictures. We can relate to them today. We're watching the Olympics. We see a race. Everybody's running, but only one wins. They don't crowd the gold medal with five winners. One wins. It's only one winner. So he says, if there's only going to be one winner, then run in such a way that you may obtain it. He immediately turns it into a spiritual application. He says, you guys know about running and races and winning? Yes. Okay, then you run. And run in such a way that you're going to win. This is no game. This is no time filler. You're running, think of it this way, you're running the race of faith as believers, all of us are. Okay, so run the race to win. Again, he's not talking competition to just leave somebody in the dust. You go, ha, 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 I'm first, you're second. <laughs> it's not that at all. That's our competitive, you, you know, the way we've been raised in our culture, competitive. We gotta, that, he's not saying that. He's saying, look, you only have one race, run it. Run it. Don't walk it, don't crawl it, don't roll over, don't sit down and rest, but run and run in such a way with the mindset to win. Verse 25, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. Or you could also say he exercises, she exercises self-control. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. That makes sense. If you're going to run in the Olympics... You don't see people that are training for swimming or training to run. You don't see them sitting around the pool with deep-fried, chocolate-covered Twinkies. Hey, what are you doing? I'm getting ready for the Olympics. Dude, you're, don't waste your time, man. No, they're temperate. They're ex they may want them. But in order to win, they set it aside. Not right now. It's not going to help me. We're going to see that as you read ahead in chapter 10. As Paul continues to talk about freedom, he says, not all things are, law all things are lawful, but not everything's good for me. Here's the same picture, but as an athlete. But think about it in your life. Think about it in some of the ways that are hindering you. You're running the race of faith, but no one in their right mind running the race of faith would be doing what you're doing. What do you think you're going to win that way? You think it's going to help you? Where in the picture of the physical realm, you're sitting around eating a deep fried Twinkie and two liter of Dr. Pepper or whatever, and you're just guggling, everyone's working out. And, but think about it spiritually. What are you eating that? Why are you taking that stuff in? 
Isn't the word of God enough for you? Why are you taking that stuff in? Why are you you even sitting back? Why have you stopped running? Why aren't you temperate anymore? Why aren't you even thinking about it? Why are you treating her like that? Why are you saying those things? Why do you have one life at work and you turn on some different life when you walk on the property here? Why? Why are you so mean? Why aren't you walking? I can go on and on and on. You could fill in the blanks of where the Holy Spirit is saying, you know what? You hear that guy up there? Yes, I hear him. Well, this is what he's saying to you. And the Holy Spirit's like, this is your Twinkie. It's what's holding you back. It's what you shouldn't be involved in. You see, it's a big difference. It's not a list of do's and don'ts from some pastor high up on a stage. It's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, how about you? Why aren't you temperate? Hey, how about this in your life? And and there all along, you thought nobody knew, but God's known all along. And you're not up in there in the race anymore. You've stumbled, you've fallen, and it's time to get back up and get back in the race. Time is short. The athlete's whole life is disciplined to win. Athletes that live undisciplined lives will ruin themselves. You know how the Olympics are with that illustration. They start training kids like a super, super duper young age. They live their whole life for training. Can you imagine? Their whole life is lived for training. And then the last six months right up to the Olympic Games, they let themselves go. What a loss. For what? An athlete must be disciplined to win the prize. And discipline, I came across this quote I thought was great. Discipline requires giving up the good or even the better for only the best. Chew on that one for a while. Discipline, discipline requires giving up the good. Often we settle, hey, it's okay, it's good. Or even the better, giving those up for the best in your life. Running your race. Are we running to be effective? Are we running to be used? Are we running to be usable? It's important as you think about this, as we head out, it's important that you leave here. I really believe this is from the Lord. You leave here learning how to count the cost because this isn't going to come easily. And it's not going to come cheaply. This isn't a book I can send you downstairs to the bookstore and say, here, for $19.95, you're going to learn this. Just read the book and put... This is life. Hey, turn over to Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, would you? You and I, we need to learn to count the cost, to give up the good, and to give up the, even the better for the best. Luke chapter 14, pick up with me in verse 28. Well, pick up verse 25. We'll just grab the whole context here, the paragraph. And great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, this is Luke 14, verse 25. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. We've looked at this in depth when we studied Luke, but... Sufficient for us tonight. Jesus is calling us in our priorities and love. He has to be the priority. 
not our kids, not our wives, not our husbands, not our moms or dads. He needs to be priority. Truly, I believe that true love really can't flow until he is the priority. And that we could look at that in another time. Verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I don't know if you've noticed, but that's two times already Jesus has said, hey, you can't be my disciple. You can't follow, you can't be my disciple. It sounds pretty tough to me. He's not making it easy. He says in verse 28, for which of you, so now he's going to give you a picture. Which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. So likewise. Very simple pictures. Hey, when you're going to build something, don't you want to make sure you can finish it? Absolutely. We really had to take this to heart as we were beginning to build a building and, and just make sure, okay, is this from the Lord? Can we finish it? Because we're not going to start in, ha- in and halfway. It's either all or nothing. That's the point, all or nothing. Even if you're, not an, if you're an all or nothing kind of person, you totally relate to this. If you're not an all or nothing person, then you can pray for God to help you totally relate to this. Because that's what he's saying. Count the cost. Understand, building something is going to take sacrifice and it's going to require commitment. You want to follow through. If you're going to go make war, Again, these pictures are perfect for us as believers, building a life on the rock of Jesus, fighting the good warfare, the spiritual warfare of faith. You're engaged in building, and you and I are engaged in fighting, then make sure you count the cost. You can't go to quit. you got to go all the way. And the context is if you're not willing to go all the way, then don't even consider being a disciple because you misunderstood it. This isn't like a game. Like, well, you know, I'll add a little bit of Jesus. No, it's all or nothing. If we're going to build, make sure you've counted the cost so you can finish. You're going to go to war. Count the cost so you can win, not just quit halfway. So likewise, whoever of you, verse 33, does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus is calling for a complete, wholehearted commitment. It's almost like Jesus is looking out at the multitude back in verse 25, the great multitudes that were following him. And he's saying to them and to us, hey, 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 before you joyfully follow me for what I've said to others, you need to think more carefully about what it means to follow me. It's not going to be easy. Another time Jesus said, you're going to follow me? I don't even have a place to lay my head. Is that okay with you? Uh, no, Jesus, well, uh, you are, can't find a place to lay your head. I've found in a hotel right here. I think I can stay there until the morning. We need to be careful, do we not, to not impose our conditions upon Jesus Christ, that he has to meet our conditions. He has to meet our desires. He has to do it our way. Because after all, we can go into a hamburger joint and have it our way, right? And that comes right through the doors here. I want it my way. Jesus says, no, it's not going to be your way. It's going to be my way. Follow me. Take up your cross. 
Today on Abounding Grace, we've been in 1 Corinthians as Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through this epistle. If you joined us late or would just like to hear the message again, go online to calvaryco.church. Another way to take in a steady dose of God's Word is through our apps. Not only do we offer a church app, but the Grace FM Colorado app as well. Download those today for free by searching for Calvary Church Aurora. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. And we'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through the website at calvaryco.church. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of the book, Holy Land Key by Ray Bentley. For quite some time, Pastor Ray Bentley has partnered with God's people in Israel and witnessed the fulfillment of prophecy firsthand. This book will introduce you to prophetic signs that God reveals in sometimes unexpected ways. Call 877-30-GRACE or visit calvaryco.church. That's 877-30-GRACE. And then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the book of 1 Corinthians. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.